Hey, everyone. Kara here from The Kara Golden Show. Look, I've started and scaled companies, but when I first started podcasting, figuring out the workflow for this business was a real challenge. There were so many moving parts that I needed to learn from scheduling and recording to editing and promoting each episode. But once I streamlined the process, things got easier. I was able to focus more on bringing in amazing guests and delivering great content, which was such a relief. Thinking about this experience reminded me of the challenges many face managing their business every day. Whether you are the CEO or working supporting one, you need the right tools to streamline processes, especially when it comes to shipping and handling orders. That's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation makes it easy to manage your shipments from all your sales channels. ShipStation automates tasks, prints shipping labels in bulk, and keeps your customers informed, freeing up your time to focus on growing your business. If you're looking for a way to simplify shipping and make your business more efficient, ShipStation is the solution. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time too. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me and my team to manage orders from anywhere, print shipping labels from just a click. Yes, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable with discounts up to 89% off carrier rates. And who wouldn't want that? Plus, an easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses as well? ShipStation just makes it easier so your business can grow. And yes, even when you're on your summer vacation, ShipStation is it. Work less and ship more with ShipStation, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA, K-A-R-A, to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. We have David Linegar, who is the co-founder and chairman of a brand that I know you have heard of called Remax, and a fascinating, fascinating story. As you know, on The Kara Golden Show, we speak with founders and disruptors, entrepreneurs and authors with all the stories and learnings that you are most interested in from super inspiring people. And I have to tell you, I did not know the backstory of Remax, and I am 
obsessed now with the story because there are so many different things that Dave did and along the way that was just so, so incredible. So as I mentioned, he is the co-founder and chairman. He was the CEO up until recently and decided to pass the reins after many, many years, which he'll talk about that. But uh, Remax, for those who might not be that familiar with it, is a global real estate company franchise that he co-founded with his wife, Gail. Uh, and Remax is the leading franchisor of real estate offices throughout the world and has expanded to more than 8,000 offices in over 100 countries with over 125,000 plus sales agents. Uh, he retired as a CEO in 2018, and he continues to lead the company uh, as chairman or lead the board as chairman, I should say. And nobody in the world sells more real estate than Remax. I'm excited to hear all about his journey, and I'm certain there will be plenty of learnings and lessons that uh, David can share. So welcome, David. Thank you, Kara. So great to have you here. And as I mentioned, your story is just absolutely incredible. It was the 70s when the early 70s when you were a real estate agent in Denver. And uh, I'd love to uh, kind of hear the backstory of how you decided to start your incredible company, Remax. The real estate industry in the 60s and 70s was far different than it is today, uh, especially in the 60s. It was a vast majority of the people were men, uh, white, white hair, and uh, older. Uh, the industry does not pay salaries or advances. <clears throat> so the ideal person to start in the business was somebody that had uh, retired, had been in military, civil service, a teacher, and now they were too young to quit working uh, and not enough retirement money. And so uh, that worked. In the early 70s, uh, the, the baby boom generation had started becoming married, having children, and getting divorced. And so uh, women started flooding into the real estate industry. Unfortunately, the old line companies are almost always 100% white male, and they did not like the thought of a woman coming in. Uh, they called them part-time housewives or whatever. And, they felt that they would not be serious. Um, so when we started Remax, uh, the commission split for everybody was 50-50. And the brokerage got half. And the agent got half. The agent used theirs to pay their living expenses, uh, an automobile, insurance, entertainment, the uh, profit. The company used it to pay for salaries, assistants, secretaries, rent, signs, and advertising. <clears throat> turnover was tremendous. Nine out of every 10 Remax, I'm sorry, nine out of 10 real estate agents fail the first year. Uh, they have to learn the business and just getting the license doesn't teach them the business. It teaches them the legal aspect of the business. Uh, they have to learn uh, property appraisal. Uh, they have to learn how to sell, how to find prospects, how to close deals, how to get a mortgage. And so it's a very difficult job coming in with no salary. And so the vast majority of the people just give up. Mm -hmm. And so the turnover in the companies is pretty significant. And those that do succeed get tired of only getting half the commission. And they think, 
it can't cost that much to go out and start a one or two person company. And at that time, it was not much at all. Three or 400 square feet, an answering machine, secretary, few ads, and you're making almost the whole commission. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hey, everyone. Kara here from The Kara Golden Show. Look, I've started and scaled companies, but when I first started podcasting, figuring out the workflow for this business was a real challenge. There were so many moving parts that I needed to learn from scheduling and recording to editing and promoting each episode. But once I streamlined the process, things got easier. I was able to focus more on bringing in amazing guests and delivering great content, which was such a relief. Thinking about this experience reminded me of the challenges many face managing their business every day. Whether you are the CEO or working supporting one, you need the right tools to streamline processes, especially when it comes to shipping and handling orders. That's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation makes it easy to manage your shipments from all your sales channels. ShipStation automates tasks, prints shipping labels in bulk, and keeps your customers informed. Bring up your time to focus on growing your business. If you're looking for a way to simplify shipping and make your business more efficient, ShipStation is the solution. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time too. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me and my team to manage orders from anywhere, print shipping labels from just a click. Yes, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable with discounts up to 89% off carrier rates. And who wouldn't want that? Plus, an easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses as well? ShipStation just makes it easier so your business can grow. And yes, even when you're on your summer vacation, ShipStation is it. Work less and ship more with ShipStation, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA, K-A-R-A, to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. We decided to take on the industry. And we wanted to run our office like a co-op of doctors, lawyers, architects, dentists that would uh, pay their pro rata share of running the business, but would keep most of the fees for themselves. And so it was less expensive than going into business by yourself. And you had other people around you to share the overhead. And so quite controversial, professional companies said, Oh, that's rented desk. It'll never work. You're not going to train. You're not going to supervise. Um, 
that was incorrect. Uh, we ran just like any other uh, well-managed company. Um, we had additional problems getting started. The industry not only hated us, uh, our investors backed out. We went into the first oil embargo in 1973, first recession, and we were having a devil of a time convincing agents to come to work for us. Uh, everybody would say, this sounds great. I'm going to wait and see if it works. And if it does, I'll join you. Well, if nobody joins you and everybody waits, you can't get started. Uh, <clears throat> our pattern of growth, the first month, I got calls from a 1,000 people, hmm. 10% of them telling me they're going to put me out of business. Uh, I was a crook. I was rent a desk. I was this or that. Uh, 900 were interested agents that said, how's this really work? I did 204 face-to-face -face interviews, and I signed up four. Interesting to note, three of the four were women. Hmm. They were experienced. They tried to go to work for the two biggest companies in town that did not hire women and did not hire women for almost eight or nine years after that. So as we struggled, uh, made every mistake you could make, uh, we managed to hang on. Uh, first year, 21 agents. Doubled to 42 the next, doubled 84 the next, 134th of fourth, and 289 the fifth. At 289 agents, we had uh, number one market share, highest earnings per agent, uh, highest number of listings, highest number of sales. Uh, our agents were taking home approximately 80 to 82% of their commission after all their expenses. Hmm. So it was significant. Uh, the most interesting aspect was over 70% of our sales force was multicultural or female. Wow. That year, we declared we were number one. In the sixth year, we had 200 men from the all-male top two companies in town that left those companies and joined the merry band of ladies that had kicked their butts. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, was this just, in, in terms of territory, where were you focused on? It was Colorado to begin with. Uh, we sold one franchise in Kansas City in 1975, uh, two in 76, uh, one of them in Calgary, one of them in Washington, D.C. In December of 76, the eight managers that worked for Gail and I in the stores that we owned came to us at Christmas time and said, you want a franchise? Uh, we want to own our own offices. Sell us our offices. And I said, well, we spent a fortune. I can't just give them to you. I can't sell them to you for a franchise fee. And they said, we just need time to pay it. We'll, we'll make money. We're all making money right now. And they did give us the cash flow we needed. In 77, uh, we sold 30 major uh, master franchises and 100 franchises. And the rest was history. Wow, that's that's amazing. Where did you get the idea for a franchise? Was anybody doing this in the real estate industry? Yeah, in uh, 1966, Red Carpet was the first franchise hmm. that was out of uh, Walnut Creek, California. They eventually went out of business. But in 72 and 73, Century 21, ERA, and a couple of dozen others started franchising. Uh, within a, two or three years, Three public companies came in, which uh, Sears bought Coldwell Banker and changed it to residential. Uh, Prudential came in and um, Merrill Lynch came in. By 1978, 
uh, at the National Realtor Convention trade show, there were 178 so-called national real estate chains. Some had one office, a cardboard uh, box, and a Xerox page to give you about their company. People like C21, they bought 20 booths, spent a half million dollars on the furnishings, and uh, they were a go-getter. The fascinating aspect was all the franchise salesmen were walking around and saying, in five years, five or six companies will have 80% of the market. Join ours because we're going to be there. That never could happen. Interestingly enough, of those 178 companies, there's only seven of us still around, hmm. and the rest of them came and went. And we didn't get 80% of the market, but at this point, we have nearly 60% of the market combined. So interesting. So obviously, you were really different in how you how your company, what it was made up of, right? In terms of not only the demographics, but do you believe like that that's sort of how the word of mouth started in terms from the, you know, the consumer, how they were thinking about using you? I mean, did do you believe that that kind of got the word out about the people that worked for your company really got the word out about it initially or? Yes, because we couldn't hire beginners. Mm -hmm. um, you had to pay $500,000 a month to be with us. And then you got your commissions when you made some commissions. So we had only full-time people. Uh, we had people that were very serious. And the uh, within five years, uh, we were selling uh, twice the number of properties of the rest of the average realtors in the country. Uh, we were earning three times as much, and we had three times the experience. And so we started building a reputation on the basis of quality, full-time people, no part-timers, no beginners, uh, very experienced people. I think right now the average experience level is 16 years. And uh, many of our people have over 50 years experience. And so that was a defining competitive advantage that we had. It's interesting in the, in the 70s when you started, I, uh, I always talk about my, my dad had started a brand within a large company, uh, a brand called Healthy Choice. Uh, so he was a frustrated entrepreneur, though, working inside of a large company, uh, initially Armor Food Company, but which soon became, they got acquired by ConAgra. But uh, actually, being an entrepreneur in the 70s was not necessarily something that you wanted to brag about, I, I feel like. Uh, did you did you think about yourself as an entrepreneur or how did you, at what point did you say you're an entrepreneur? Because obviously you're, you were in real estate um, and you're a realtor, but I mean, clearly what you've done to disrupt a market is is very entrepreneurial. I uh, probably didn't even know the meaning of entrepreneur. Uh, I just knew I wanted to own my own brand. Uh -huh. uh, I had a cause and that was improve the life of the real estate agents, make sure they made more money. Uh, when they pay their own bill, they make their own decisions. In the company where the company pays the bills, if you want to advertise a property twice a week, the boss has to tell you, okay, uh, if you want to charge a 5% commission instead of a 6% commission, the company has to say, okay, it doesn't matter if it's your mother or it's your own personal price or property you're buying. And the company always wanted their name in big letters on the sign. And they wanted yours on a little writer that says, mm -hmm. call Dave. 
And so by giving the permission to the agent to make all the decisions for themselves, uh, it gave them the ultimate in entrepreneurial values. Uh, they paid their own way. They made their own decisions. And that was actually a bigger drawing point for many of them than was the higher commissions that they were making. So interesting. So where did the name Remax come from? Nobody wanted to call it Dave Leniger Realty. <laughs> and it sounded too too small, hometown stuff. Uh, Exxon had just changed their name. And uh, I read an article on it. We didn't have the money for ad agencies or anything. Uh, my investors and myself were Vietnam veterans. So we came up with a red, white, and blue sign. Uh, we were going to call it real estate maximums, maximum service for the customer, no beginners or part-timers, maximum recruiting ability for the broker, and maximum uh, earnings for the agent. We shortened that down to RE Max, and then we were afraid somebody would think there was a Mr. or Mrs. RE Max, took out the periods, threw in a slash like Exxon had done, and we came up with Remax. I love it. That's great. So you started Remax uh, with with your wife Gail, or Gail was working with the company. It wasn't. I I wasn't sure on the story exactly. I'd love to hear it from you. Uh, she had just gotten married, mm -hmm. and her husband was with the MadeNF company in uh, St. Louis, mm -hmm. and so she was a trailing spouse. She had worked in a management position for Ross and Perina, so she thought she would get a a startup job for maybe six months or a year. I interviewed 27 people to be an administrative vice president for the company. I did not have a formal education and I needed somebody that could figure out how do you lease space? How do you uh, buy the furniture? How do you hire secretaries, administrators, bookkeepers? Uh, how do you set up contracts and systems? And of course, uh, she had all those abilities. I said no to the first 27 and, uh, she was 28. I knew within five minutes of interviewing her that I think she could run my company someday. So I sold and I sold and I sold. She took a 50% pay cut. Uh, she came on board. We struggled through the startup phases, skipped her paychecks, uh, made sure the agents got paid fought the battles. Uh, finally, one day she told me we had unbelievable number of bills and short-term debt. And she said, Dave, you're excellent at recruiting and sales management. Uh, you're trying to be the person negotiating with creditors and trying to run the company. Let me run the company. I'll handle the creditors. And we're never going to get out of this hole if you can't go out and recruit hundreds of agents. She took all the responsibility. Uh, so by the 10th year, we were at 3,000 agents, and she was uh, president of the company by that time. Uh, within a year or so, she was CEO. Uh, I was traveling, oh, 200 to 250 days a year, first setting up offices all over the United States, then eventually starting in 80 in Canada, then after that, 100 and some countries. So we needed a professional manager to run it. I never really gave a damn about was I called a CEO or a founder or chairman of the board. And so, um, unfortunately, uh, we were supposed to be married. 
all my officers got divorced the first year or two that we started the company. We fell in love with building this magical dream. And when you go from one agent to thousands in an audience, that's what, what do you call it? It's almost adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. So uh, Gail and I had started dating around the 10th year that we were together. And then uh, we had set a wedding date, had not told anybody. And we flew to Canada for a Canadian conference. Um, she went for a ride in a seaplane. Uh, the franchisee uh, crashed it, killed himself, uh, put her in the hospital for a year. Hmm. Uh, traumatic brain injury, lots of broken bones. And the other two passengers were uh, badly hurt, too. So uh, she came out, uh, had to go through a traumatic brain injury rehab. Uh, basically spinal injury. And uh, then she came back to work and she stayed as CEO probably for uh, another 10 years. Uh, one of my other uh, first employees of the first year uh, became CEO. Then eight years later, he retired. And we had one other woman had been with us for 20 some years and she had done a great job. She became a CEO. And then when we went public, uh, she became very wealthy. Uh, she'd been with us 28 years. And so she resigned and I took over as CEO for the first five years as a public company. Wow. Incredible. Well, uh, one of the things that I was reading about uh, back in the very early days that you were uh, $300,000 in debt, investors had backed out. I'm sure there's a, plenty of people who listen to this podcast who have had that kind of situation really scary, right? Uh, when you are depending on cash flow coming in, uh, what would you say to that? I mean, you you obviously were just relentless in figuring it out. I think that the best entrepreneurs, that's what they do. They, they figure it out. So uh, when you think back on that time, uh, what, what would you say about that? We actually went all the way down to over 600,000. But by the third year, we'd started making a profit and we were able to show we are paying down our debt. And every week or every month, she would give the report to the creditors. And we paid them all off, by the way, uh, within the first four years. Many of them were suppliers to us that became suppliers to the whole network. Mm-hmm. And many of them became multimillionaires just off the Remax brand. So they wow. stuck with us, kept us alive. Uh, we kept communicating with them. Uh, tell you, it's humiliating to be broke. Mm-hmm. It's humiliating to have your power turned off or your phones turned off. And you just have to have the persistence, the stick to And I guaranteed every person I talked to, I will not file bankruptcy. I will not quit. And I will pay every single dime we own. And we did. And so I, I think one of the things you have to understand about leadership and mine was on the job training, unfortunately. I got leadership in the military. That's quite a bit different from leadership in a business. All great leaders sell hope. Period. Mm-hmm. And that's a common attribute. If it's uh, politics, you can look at uh, Obama. Mm-hmm. His slogan was hope. Mm-hmm. Hillary's slogan was get stronger with Hillary. Mm-hmm. That's not selling hope. Ronald Reagan, 
was make America great. Donald Trump, make America great again. Uh, if you look at uh, religion, Jesus Christ, uh, he was selling hope. And many of the people were very broke and destitute and were living in poverty. And they saw hope. Maybe there's going to be life after death and a better life. If uh, you look at somebody, a genius like Martin Luther King, uh, he was very nonviolent. He was selling hope to an entire uh, population in the United States. He wasn't just selling hope to black people or people of color or to women because many of his followers were liberal people mm-hmm. and they believed in equal rights and that on the marches, uh, you'd have 20, 30% of the marchers were white. So true. And so they had the hope that they too could live side by side and have a better life together. Yeah. So if you're an entrepreneur, your water company, you were, you were selling the hope that this is better than just pure water. Definitely. So, and showing people and rolling up their sleeves. And I think that that's another aspect of leading to, you can't just, uh, you can't just sell the hope. You actually have to show them how. And I think that you're such a great, inspiring entrepreneur that definitely has has done that. So you expanded outside of the U.S. into Canada and across the world. Um, Thinking back, was there any super difficult parts about that? I know that, you know, the the, uh, desire to go big and, and, and no matter what industry you're in, uh, is, is a big one, but it's always, uh, you know, should you, shouldn't you, I mean, any thoughts there? What was kind of the hardest part of doing that? The problem we had was we sold throughout the United States based on the success of Colorado. Mm -hmm. And the comment was, if I could build a company like that when I was 26 or 27 years old, Think what you could do in Chicago or Atlanta or Dallas. But every place we went to, we encountered the same thing. We're different. Mm -hmm. In Colorado, you're a bunch of Colorado yahoos. You're cowboys. Here, we wear a coat and tie. Uh, Here in Georgia, we're very genteel. We would never recruit agents from other brokers' agents. We get along too well. Uh, Once we've moved from there, Uh, We went to Quebec and they said, you can't even speak French. And then uh, state by state, country by country, and everybody was different. When we went to Europe, there were uh, a couple of countries that none of them had multiple listing services. Mm -hmm. None of them had boards of realtors. None of them had trade associations. And we would go in and tell them, yes, but those things are possible. Look what we have. And uh, little by little, uh, it succeeded every place. And people would say, we're in a communist country. We're in a socialist country. We're, we're in a dictatorship. Uh, we only charge 2% commission in our country. Um, uh, it will never work here. Yeah. And yet, we didn't sell a commission concept. We sold a leadership concept. And the leadership concept was if you can create the best possible environment for somebody to be as successful as they want to be, they will work for you. And sure, you can go all over the world 
People's colors are different. The religions are different. Governments are different. All these things are different. But succeeds because human beings have many commonalities. Mm-hmm. We all would like to make more money. Mm-hmm. We'd like to pay, pay, be able to provide for our children and our elder care better than we currently do. We all would like to have more independence. Everybody wants love and respect. And everybody wants to raise their family and their home to their religious and moral values that have been established in their country's culture over however long it's been. They don't want America to come in and say, look at America, do it our way. What we're able to say is it worked in the United States. It worked in Canada. Uh, We had a buyer for South Africa, and we told them we would not buy as long as apartheid was in. The day apartheid ended, uh, it was a, a couple of white people. They came in and said, we're ready to buy. We sold to them. Uh, within nine or 10 years, they were the leading real estate company in their country. And 70% of their company at that time was black. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, you started to see that this worked for everybody. You know, you touched on the fact that you were definitely selling hope, right, to to many, but you were also leading an industry. And whenever you lead and do things differently, you're doing franchises throughout the world, right? Your online listings, MLS, all of this, it's different. And you probably had doubters who were saying, oh, that guy Dave doesn't know what he's talking about. He lives in Colorado and he has no idea. We're just different. And and what would you say is probably the the most difficult part? Like, how, how did you think about that? I mean, did you ever feel like maybe they're right? Or, or no. you know, maybe <laughs> Absolutely I don't not. <laughs> I knew it worked. I yeah. saw people's lives change. Uh, let me use Argentina as an example. We had a young couple that bought Argentina from us. Uh, Gail and I uh, flew down there to set them up, and uh, we helped them sell their first few franchises. Uh, we went back a couple years later, and they had 30 franchises, and the average number of agents was two to two and a half. And I'd emphasize to them, you have to have 15, 20, 30 people offices. I proved it, and they said we're different. Nobody has more than five agents in an office. And and that was the third year. And a Argentinian uh, citizen that had lived in Miami and worked for Remax flew down and bought a franchise. And in four months, he had 40 agents working for him. Hmm. A year later, those 30 brokers, almost all had gone from one or two agents to 30 or 40 agents. They wouldn't believe me because I was an American, but they believed what that Argentinian did in their country, bringing his knowledge to their people. And so a lot of times the discouraging thing is uh, you can prove beyond a doubt that it works, but they still doubt. And how long do you ask them to, to uh, trust you, I guess, and, and see if it works? Is it a year? I mean, have you ever had to give them like some kind of timeline along the way? Uh, We have quotas in our contracts and Mm -hmm. uh, we insist that they stick to them. Uh, We're not going to kick them out of the company if they're encountering a lot of resistance. Uh, The Argentinians are still fighting 
12 years later with their association of realtors who don't like our business practices because they want to keep every agent under their thumb. And so uh, you just have to persevere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the most important tenets, I always said that we succeeded because of the quality of our agents, quality of our leaders, quality of our parent company. I've really decided in the last 10 years, it was true quality of the agents. When Darwin had his theory of evolution, He's been quoted as saying, the strongest of the species survives. That's a misquote. He never said that. And so if you look at the strongest, the dinosaurs were the strongest. They're dead. The mosquito is still around 500 million years later. (laughs) What he said was, the most adaptable of the species survives. And what we had to do in Remax was adapt. We had to adapt to the fact that nobody would join us had to adapt to the fact that we had a lot of bills and bill collectors. Once we started moving, we had to adapt everything else. We've lived through nine presidencies. Two or three are outright crooks. Two or three are stupid. Two or three were great. Uh, We made money in every one of those presidencies. We're in our eighth recession, and we made money in every recession, including the worst one in 2008 and including in the current one. Mm-hmm. And so you have to adapt to the circumstances. When they tried to end inflation, uh, that was back in 2000, maybe 2001 or 2002. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2002, yep. The SNLs collapsed. They changed the home rate on an FHA VA to 16.5%. A year before, it was 7 We had to adapt. We would go to sellers and tell them, you can't get this thing sold. You got to have an assumable loan and you're going to have to carry a big second for two or three years until the interest rates come back down and they can refinance and give you the rest of the cash. But we sold. Mm-hmm. And that that's what happens. You, you look at the circumstances and you've got to change. You got to embrace change. So today we have all kinds of financial craziness, obviously, with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and and uh, sort of leading the efforts of, in the news over the last few weeks. How does this affect uh, the real estate market as you see it? It mostly affects the newer people to the industry. The first year or two, you're trying to learn the business. You're not going to, most people are not going to set the world on fire. And you're trying to find customers. You don't really know what you're doing. Uh, But people have been around for 10, 15 years. You've learned the business. You understand mortgages, appraisals. You've seen good markets. You've seen bad markets. But most important of all, if you've been around a while, you have referrals. You Mm -hmm. have repeat customers. You have people that said, go to Dave. He gives excellent service, et cetera. And once you have the referral base, and the repeat business, then you don't have to struggle to get new business as much. And so in the United States, it's basically uh, 80-20 rule. 20% of the realtors are doing 80% of the sales. And you literally, NAR has theoretically a million five uh, people in the, the business. Uh, there's another million not in the National Association of Realtors. In reality, the average top producer is doing 13 to 20 deals a year 
and the average non-top producer is doing less than one deal a year. And there are just literally hundreds of thousands of part-time licenses sitting on the wall and they're just waiting. Maybe the mother has to sell their house someday. And so it's the lack of barriers to entry and it's the lack of professionalism. Uh, the good people figure it out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So you've seen a ton. You've grown an incredible company. You've helped a lot of people uh, grow their own wealth uh, over the years and find homes. And I mean, so many different angles uh, that you should be very, very proud of. What's the best advice that you've ever received? If you're, you're sitting there as a new entrepreneur, you're thinking, okay, how do I do what Dave did? And what, what's kind of the best advice that you can maybe think of that people have told you or, or also what would you give uh, to those new entrepreneurs out there? Easy. Um, early on in my career, I became fairly wealthy and uh, I owned all the toys, boats, uh, ski lot or ski resort. Um, I don't know, airplanes, uh, sports cars, etc. And I had a t-shirt my friends made up for me with a lot of my toys. And it says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Maybe 20, 25 years later, I matured to the point and it came up with he who dies with the most memories wins mm -hmm. because I now had a lifetime of memories of all kinds of different businesses and accomplishments. And then finally, as I aged, they gave me another T-shirt and said, he who dies with the most friends is the richest. And what has happened to me is the stick to and the ability to adapt and never quitting means that I still have affected the lives of tens of thousands of people. And at the 50th anniversary, uh, I had a five-minute ovation when I started my presentation. When Gail came out, she had a five-minute ovation. It's 10,000 people in sight. We receive letters constantly uh, that people passed away, people retired, and uh, when they retire, we get these letters. You've changed my life. Been with your company 20 years. I'm wealthy. I respect you. Thanks for making my life better. Thanks for my family. And I think maybe that's what entrepreneurs really have to understand is you do affect the lives. You're the leader. Mm -hmm. And if you lead positively and you grow your skills, nobody's born with them. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Just don't make the same one twice. And when you start being able to prove to people how much you care, it's, it's, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so what is the relationship you have as the mentor to all these people that you bring in? Now, people are going to turn over. And I think right now we have 150,000 people in Remax plus 50,000 support people. Uh, if you look back 50 years, uh, we were the youngest people in the company the first five years. And so many of our people have passed on. Uh, many have died. Uh, 
this company was not built by Dave and Gail Leniger. Mm-hmm. We're a footnote. Mm-hmm. We got lucky enough to be the first two, and we couldn't be fired. <laughs> this company was built by 500,000 top producers Incredible. who left companies, joined ours, retired, passed away. Uh, this this conquest, it was 500,000 people that built this concept. Absolutely incredible. Well, Dave, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and inspiration. And we'll have all the info uh, for you and Remax and everything else in the show notes. But appreciate you and appreciate all you've done and your time this morning. So thank you. Thank you, Kara. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.